Welcome to episode 51 of On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest is the foremost location for hockey in Ohio, covering every level played from youth and high school to juniors, college, and pro. Articles written to keep the hockey community up to date on all happenings with hockey in Ohio. My name is Jason Lewandowski. Tim Sullivan is on assignment this week. I'm joined by Scott Harrington, the commissioner, and producer Dan Humphrey. With On Air, we are bringing you fresh content and adding voices, names, and faces to interesting people making the Ohio hockey community better. Well, last week, we got together in person for episode 50 and looked back at some, just some, of the highlights of the first year or so of the On Air podcast. Our apologies to the guests that we didn't mention by name, but that could have easily been a five-hour episode and we were on a time limit and the, our cars were parked at meters so we had to get going. As it was, we, revi- we revisited some of the great conversations we have been fortunate to have so far. What did you guys think of one, being uh, live, which was different and fun? And also, what did you think about uh, the course of the last 50 episodes? It sounded, sounded pretty good, actually. You tell yeah. the difference doing it there uh, in the studio. And it was uh, nice being in the same room with everybody. Nice to see you guys. I don't remember the last time I actually saw you guys in person. But, it was um, probably in season. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was. Um, but I thought, like I said, it could have gone on for five hours. It was, uh, you know, just we just kind of scratched the surface, kind of skimmed along and and mentioned some of the parts that kind of stuck out. And we, uh, in the final episode, dropped in some sound bites there. And I think it was still, it was, you know, two hours or something like that, but um i think uh i either sent out a tweet or i'm doing it in the morning just telling everybody if you haven't listened to one yet listen to this one you know because it gives you a pretty good cross-section of the people that we've talked to it gives you an idea of what uh you know the type of content and the the uh things we try to get to with people well you look down that list you know as we did last week and you read some of those names and it's it's, it's a miracle we had half those people on the show, which was, fan, I mean, it's fantastic. And all credit to you, Scott, for, for booking these people and getting these guys to come on. And you know, drop your guys' name when I send those emails out. Well, that ought to get you Perhaps. nobody. I mean, yeah. thank, thank God. I mean, and also, you know, credit to uh, Russ Senkowitz for, for helping us land some of those as well. And, and Absolutely. You know, it, it's, you look back over 50 episodes, one, you know, like we talked about last week, we, we decided to do this on a whim. You know, there was nothing to do during a pandemic and nobody was really working and everyone was sitting at home. So, hey, let's have some fun and let's talk about some hockey. And and just the content. I mean, you know, everybody from Dan Balsma to Don Van Massenhoven to, you know, Guy Bradshaw to Chris Kogan to and you go down a list, junior coaches, college coaches. Ian Moran came on and, and we think he had a fake background. We thought he was actually just sitting in his garage, but it looked like he was at a hotel. It was fantastic. But fun time. Actually, the most fun was just sitting in the same room with each other and, and figuring out how the studio worked. Because, you know, right now, as we're back in our own houses again this week, and uh, as we said, uh, Sully's on assignment, special yeah. assignment in Florida, uh, getting some uh, content pieces down there. But, you know, when we get to do that again, because I know we're going to be doing it live again or, or together again. Now we know what works and what doesn't and ins and outs with everything on the show. I mean, like we talked about jokingly the, uh, last week, the first episode we did, we had to redo it 
Yeah. So we had to figure it all out. We're, you know, and, you know, I think the one Sully brought it up when we talked to Aaron Portsline and the first thing we said to him off air was, okay, look, this is going to be really strange because you do this for a living and we don't. So we're probably going to sound like buffoons, but you know, bear with us. And, and Portsline was great. And Portsline has been a little bit busy lately and I'm sure we'll get to that coming up here in the news. Yeah. But again, we, we want to thank all of our guests uh, who were generous with their time made the podcast successful along with our partners, specifically the Ohio Hockey Project and Team Ohio for supporting the podcast. Absolutely. Well, the weather is quite indecisive here in Northeast Ohio from 80s and sun to 30s and snow. The inconsistency is baffling. But you know what isn't baffling? The news that's going on in the Ohio Hockey Digest. Let's get on air in the news. Members of the Ohio High School Athletic Association will have to pay $50 per sanctioned sport beginning with the 2021-2022 school year. Total annual dues will range from $300 to $1,300 per school, depending on the number of OHSA sanctioned sports in which a school is participating. We traditionally have relied on tournament ticket sales for about 80% of our revenue, Doug Oots, Executive Director of the OHSA, said. That final model has not been sustainable, and the COVID-19 pandemic has certainly not helped. Levying membership dues will give us a steady line of income since many of our other lines are variable, and it will help us build a new, more sustainable revenue model. Well. Okay, go. <laughs> it, it will be, uh, what did you say, more uh, steady line of income. That is that is true. Yes. That is true. Um but, you know, they, they do this because of partly because of COVID-19, but I don't see it going away once ticket revenues get back up. I mean, right. So basically the OH, OHSAA wants a participation fee on top of ticket revenue and whatever else. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Is that what it sounds like to you? Is that what it That's is? That's what it sounds like to me. And I was figuring, I don't know what the... I'm guessing this will bring in about a million dollars. That's just a guess. I don't know. Right. There's uh you know, that's the midpoint of 300 and 1300 times. How many schools are, are there? I know there's 730 something with football. I think that's the biggest. So there's probably, you know, 1100, 1200 schools, something like that. Right. Probably should have looked that up before I made that statement, but I'm guessing there you're talking about 750 grand to a million dollars, if not more. Um, but like I said, the and and that 80 percent of revenue coming from tournament ticket sales, I'd like to see the pie chart on how much of that is from football. It's my understanding that it's largely football. Oh, yeah, they doubled they doubled the number of teams going in the football playoffs, right. which I don't think is a good idea, but. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that certainly changes things. And I just don't know what, uh, you know, what, what this will mean for their, their actual bottom line starting next year when we hopefully are back to a regular, you know, the world is back to normal. And if that's a significant increase in revenue, is that to make up for shortfalls or is that going to create the opportunity to, to do some more things, to make things better, maybe, explore the opportunity of having two or three divisions for hockey or what have you. We'll find out. I guess. We'll find out. Yes. Yeah. 
Uh, John Tortorella and the Columbus Blue Jackets arrived at a mutual decision to part ways following the Blue Jackets' season-ending 5-4 overtime win over the Detroit Red Wings on Friday, which resulted in the Jackets and Wings finishing tied for last place in the Central Division. Hopefully they didn't cost themselves a draft spot by doing that. Tortorella was behind the Columbus bench for six seasons, compiling a 227-166-54 and 54 record. His 673 career wins in 20 seasons with the Tampa Bay Lightning, New York Rangers, Vancouver Canucks, and Columbus are the most by, by a U.S.-born coach in NHL history. The 63-year-old Tortorella, who won the Jack Adams Award as NHL Coach of the Year in 2004 and 2017 and guided Tampa Bay to the Stanley Cup in 2004, has said he would like to continue coaching. So, who's going to be the next coach of the Jackets? What do you think? You got Bruce Boudreaux out there? No, thanks. I think, Bruce is comfortable. I think Bruce is comfortable in the uh, NHL Network studios. Yeah? yeah. I don't well, know, man. Tor- wasn't Tortorella doing that before he came to Columbus? Yeah, he did. He did a, uh, he did a little bit of a, a stint there, I believe. And I don't know, man. I, I'd like to see... I'd like, I mean, personally, I'd like to see a guy like uh, Rick Tockett, who just parted ways with uh, uh, Arizona the other day as well. Um, I don't know, man. I, I mean, Gerard Gallant would be a good fit. I, I, Mike Eves would be fantastic. Um, I would like to see Mike Eves get, get a shot there. That wouldn't be bad. That wouldn't be bad. That wouldn't be bad at all. Also, Vancouver uh, – they're down to the last week of their season. They have not done an extension yet with Travis Green. He seems like a good young uh, – that's one thing I – They there's a lot of retread coaches in the NHL. A lot of them, they do it because it works, at least in the short term, you know, uh, bringing in somebody like Tortorella or Hitchcock or something like that. You usually get that bump. Um, but I'd like to see somebody new, maybe Mikey, who hasn't coached in the Travis Green. On that note, oh, fr- fr- fresh, fresh on assignment in Florida. <laughs> we got our Florida! we got our boy Tim Sullivan. Sully, how's it going down there? Are you getting some good content? Well, we're, we're down here on assignment in Florida. It, it's it's amazing down here. It's ninety one degrees. Uh, I'm currently on the pod right now. Oh, uh, it's beautiful down here. But uh, get some good content. Yes, uh, their coach left. I like where we're going. Uh, can can you elaborate to the listeners that what the content is? What what what? Like how, obviously it's going well. Hey, hello love, hello love. So I'm down here with uh, Eddie the Flycoin and uh, Sam the Wall Ficus, and you know we're just kind of making sure that the hockey scene down here in Florida is going well. You know we got our we got our you know, fingers on some, some players down here and just kind of doing our things. I like it. What's on tap for tonight? Uh, what, so what, we're going to go to the, the game seed and, We're going to go to the seed and table and uh, we're going to go see. It's funny because this is why I wanted to call in when I was down here. We're going to go see a band that is called Hat Trick. Okay. Okay. Nice. Three guys. Three guys. Three guys. They play some reggae stuff. It's going to be fun. I was gonna say, do um, they do they play reggae? Knowing who's in the car with you, I figured there'd be a, a reggae. Hello, love. I reg- I, I figured there'd be a reggae a reggae twist to this. Yeah, there's there's definitely a reggae twist to this. Um, 
I do want to say that uh, I really enjoyed last week's episode. Uh, so to our listeners, I do apologize for not being there this week, but um, what a great 50th episode. And it was fun being with all you guys live. Uh, we'll get back at it next week live, but uh, uh, you know, I definitely wanted to call in. Well, we appreciate the call in bud for sure. Hey, is the commission with you guys? Yeah. Oh, commission's here. Oh, you think the commission slack? You you think the commission is going to miss out on this? (laughs) No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's funny because I I called Danny and I said, "Hey, let me get on." And he he said, "You you don't know how to get Zoom on your phone." I go, "That's yes, I do." (laughs) Well, well, after last week, after that wonderful meal we had, you knew full well. Somebody was going to up the ante and make sure we were on our game. Hence, we have the commissioner of the Ohio Hockey Digest with us today. Yes. Absolutely. And, Scott, uh, thank you again for that wonderful meal. It was, it was great. The pizza was awesome. And, uh, again, what a great show last week. And, you know, I listened to the show after we aired it, and it brought back 50 great episodes of just awesome guests. And, man, we got to learn a lot and, and, and hear a lot, and, and it was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Thanks for everything you do and make sure you're back next week. You're going to want to be here next week. Yes. I'll be back next week for next week for sure. Sam Plankus wants to know what his interview is. Uh, guys, take it, take care. Uh, enjoy the nice weather. I hear it's supposed to be nice up there in Cleveland, but uh, I'll be back on Thursday. So. All right. Good luck. Great. With that. I think it got up to 52 today. So yeah, 52. Wonderful. 90, 91 here today. Well, good luck getting that content tonight. We look forward to seeing it. All right, see you, boys. Later. Last week in our 50th episode, uh, we we did not get into the Tom Wilson New York Rangers situation. What are your guys' thoughts on Tom Wilson not being suspended, although being fined for his antics uh, and also involved with uh, Terry Panarin? Scott, what are your thoughts? Uh, I've got to be honest. I watched it. I didn't think it was a suspension to be honest. I mean, maybe it's cause I, I grew up watching hockey in the eighties and I think, you know, didn't look that bad. Um, I think I was surprised because it was Tom Wilson that he didn't get a suspension because, you know, the in-game officiating is supposed to be you treat everybody the same, but there is a cumulative aspect to supplementary discipline. And because he's been suspended so many times before, I was kind of surprised that they didn't at least give him one game because they played again. And you yep. just kind of take the air out of that situation. Obviously, the Department of Player Safety grabbed the pump and kept pressing until it was so full of air that it had to explode one second in the game with a line brawl. Uh, It it was interesting because the day before, two days before, whatever, whenever they played, day before, Wilson, the the only problem I had was he's punching the guy in the back of the head. Yeah. Him him ragdolling Panarin, I give Panarin credit for jumping in there. He (laughs) He jumps on his back and his feet are, are dangling in the air. That was hilarious. At one point, he's throwing Panarin around, and it—I I literally thought I was watching like you, you know you watch those movies when they people allegedly jump off of a building, 
and it turns out that it's like a mannequin or a stuffed yeah. doll. That's what Panarin looked like getting ragdolled all over the ice. Yeah. And the next night, and I don't remember who it was, jumps and cross-checks Anthony Manta in the face. That was Butchnevich. Okay, and he gets a game. Ironically. And he gets a game. Well, they said they wanted suspensions for that kind of stuff. <laughs> but the other element is the coming out on the team's Twitter account, and I apologize, I don't have it to read here, but Basically, and we think it came from the owner. We're not sure. I'd imagine. Basically, calling out George Peros by name. Yes. And demanding that he be fired, which I've never seen before. And that results in a $250,000 fine, which is not a big deal if you're the owner of the New York Rangers. Uh, and the New York Rangers. Um, but then the next day, team president John Davidson and GM Jeff Gorton are fired by the Rangers. And that I don't understand at all. Unless there was some spat over whether they were going to send that message or not. Because what's coming out of New York but why, is like, but why would talking you... about getting rid of them because of his performance base. But they've been doing a great job. I Yeah, that I don't, I don't understand why with all the young players that they have in New York, they're basically rebuilding on the fly. Lafreniere is having an excellent year or had an excellent year. Excuse me. Um, Capococco is, is coming into his own. Now he's understanding the North American game a little better. I mean, they have young guys that are playing key roles and and they're starting to get a little bit of, a little bit of go there. They traded for Adam Fox when he was still at Harvard. Yep. And he's and, getting and, Norris votes. I was going to say, he's up for Norris votes. Keandre Miller. They've got two I, more defensemen that haven't even played, haven't even signed their contracts yet that are really good too. Uh, you, 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 and I forget who else, but they've got, they're just loaded. You hire these people to do their job, right? He's and doing a great John, job. John Davidson and Jeff Gordon have been doing a great job. But so there had to have been some sort of, other disagreement or whatever yeah. to get them gone. So Chris Drury and obviously gets the, both jobs. Hey, good for him. He's another one on the rise. So in the uh, managerial field right now. So his name's hot all around the league has been. Yeah. And then, as you mentioned, uh, we get the line brawl uh, on the puck drop the next day. One Not second. surprising. And then uh, was it Brendan Smith that went after Tom Wilson, his first shift. Uh, uh, jumping sounds about right. Yeah. He jumped him for, I mean, Brendan Smith's gloves were gone right. the minute Wilson looked up. And, and hey, look, I get it. I understand it. I mean, kudos to him. I wouldn't have wanted to be that. They must have talked about it beforehand. Like, okay, who's going to do this? <laughs> well, I think I think Brendan Wilson said that um, he looked up. He saw he saw Wilson come on the ice, and he goes, "Up oh, here, I got to go." And he just went at him. And, and good He's about for him. The only guy on the team, I think, that probably well, got, could have done something. Well, they traded Brendan Lemieux to LA, right. so yeah, they don't really have a, yeah, there's a, nobody a else true there. on a true on fighter there. But Which you look was at, part of the discussion. Uh, Mark Messier chipped in too, saying that basically they didn't have anybody to answer the bell. Right. Well, good on. I mean, even I don't know which Strom is in New York, but you know, you look at 100 minutes and penalties in the first period alone. Yeah. I mean, even Zidane Char got a 10 minute misconduct and toss. So, I mean. Hey, old time hockey. It, it is part of hockey, man. It is. It, it, some, they obviously did not like the response from the league and they had to take things into their own hands. Good on them. And for our younger listeners, 
that's what it was like. Game in, game out. <laughs> well, minus Watching all the, the line NHL, minus the 70s the line and 80s. Well, yeah, there were more line brawls in the 70s and 80s, yes. Yeah, it was like that constantly. But <sighs> moving anyway. forward, uh, senior forward Chase Gressock of Merrimack College and junior goaltender Logan Neaton of UMass Lowell have both transferred to Miami. Gressick is a native of Powell, Ohio. He played AAA hockey for the Ohio Blue Jackets, spent two full seasons with the Youngstown Phantoms in the USHL. He posted career highs of 11 goals and 24 points as a freshman at Merrimack. Neaton only got into three games in each of his first two NCAA seasons, but is a 2019 draft pick of the Winnipeg Jets. His father, Pat, was a defenseman for the Cleveland Lumberjacks of the IHL, as well as the Pittsburgh Penguins. So, we saw, it looks like it's going both ways through the transfer portal for Coach Bergeron there in Miami. He had a couple guys move out, maybe addition by subtraction, we'll see. And now uh, they bring in a couple of pretty good players here, it looks like. If you listen to the episode with Coach Bergeron, it'll tell you everything you need to know. I mean, Coach Burge was honest and upfront and straightforward and this is what we have coming in and this is why we have it coming in. And this is what I like, and this is what I don't. And in the, the, the number of times he said, you know, we don't dance around what we're looking for and what we're after. If you don't think you're going to like that, don't come. It's okay. So the fact that, that somebody's getting the message, yeah. you know, out there that, that they want to move, they want to move on from their current location and make their way down to Oxford. Good on them. And, and, and best of luck to coach Burge and, and the rest of the Red Hawks. Yep, and it uh, looks like, like I said, a couple good players. Gressick, I was looking at his stats in junior hockey and then with Merrimack, looks like a productive offensive player and neat enough, I think, a fifth-round pick of the Winnipeg Jets. So, Good. For the first time in 17 years, the United States did not medal at the U18 World Championships. Team USA was ousted in the quarterfinals by Sweden 5-2. to 2023 draft eligible, Matt V., Mikov, excuse me, of Russia was named MVP of the tournament, scoring 12 goals, just too short of the record set by another Russian, Alexander Ovechkin. A pair of 2022 draft eligible, Shane Wright and Connor Bedard, led Canada to the championship as they defeated Russia 5-3 to in the gold medal game. Bedard. Book it. Oh my the God. The kid's Did you unreal. See- did you see the goalie scored in the gold medal game? He came down. I think it was the gold medal game. Cut to the middle of the ice. And he's on his backhand about 25 feet away from the goal in the slot lasers, and just put it under the bar down. with yeah. his backhand. Yeah. yeah. Nobody does that. Nobody even tries to do that. Well, when you're you're, you're granted ex- exceptional status into the Western Hockey League at 15, there's got to be a reason. And there's there's only been a handful of guys that have that have been granted exceptional status. Yeah, he's the first one in the Western League, I think. Yeah, I believe and he was correct. putting up uh, like two points a game as a 15-year-old. It's gross. It's it's it's, un- it's unreal. It's unreal. They 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 touted him as the next Sidney Crosby, possibly the next Connor uh, McDavid. Yeah, I would. I, you know what? I said 220, uh, 2022 draft eligible Shane Wright and Bedard. I'm sorry, Bedard's actually twenty twenty three with the Russian kid. Oh, okay. But Shane Wright. Uh, who was one of their better players as well this year, not eligible this year, not until next year. This year's draft's kind of, yeah. I think uh, Power, the 6'5 defenseman from Michigan, he'll probably be the first pick. 
That's what um, they're saying. But after that, it's kind of a crapshoot. Nobody's really, really sticking out. But the next two years will be interesting. Well, we'll also get a chance to see what's going on up at the uh, showcase in Erie. Since some of these guys didn't have a chance to play a season, let alone a full season. And that couldn't have helped their uh, draft eligibility. Right. And we will be talking to Andrew Parat, uh, one of the organizers of that event, um, either next week or the week after. We'll see what uh, uh, Coach Lehman, if he's able to join us next week. If he's not, we'll do Andrew first, and then we'll have to wait on Coach Lehman because he's going to the World Championships. It's time to get on air with our guest, the head coach of the Beaver Creek Beavers, Greg Gutterman. Our guest tonight's playing career led him to the Air Force Academy, where he played varsity hockey for the Falcons from 1985 to 1989. He began his Air Force career as an intercontinental ballistic missile technical engineer in the 321st Strategic Missile Wing, then transitioned into program management and held a variety of assignments over his 30-year career, including the Director, Air Force Security Assistance and Cooperation Directorate, Air Force Life Cycle Management Center, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, where he led a 700-person directorate before his retirement as a Brigadier General in October 2018. In 2016, he became the head coach of at Beaver Creek High School and has led the team to four straight 20-win seasons, including the 2021 SWOHSHL regular season and tournament championships. He is also a finalist for the NHL Stick Tap for service for his work with Academy Hockey Club. Please welcome on air Beaver Creek head coach, Greg Gutterman. Coach, thanks for being on the show tonight. Thanks for having me, Jason. Really appreciate it. I, I can't well, even I'm, breathe. I'm, coach, I, I can't <laughs> breathe after reading all that. Holy Moses. Well, I appreciate you reading that. And, you know, my mom and dad are both up in heaven, so they, they love hearing that stuff. So, so that's phenomenal. That. <laughs> Holy cow. Coach, and I don't even I said, know where I to I said, I turned it down it. considerably. Well, I, I, read the whole, I read your whole bio earlier this afternoon. I read this one twice and I'm still getting tongue tied. That's a hell of a career coach. Congratulations. And as we said off air, thank you very much for your service to our country. You're greatly appreciated. No, uh, I'm really appreciated. And I appreciate the fact that you read the, uh, I appreciate the, the, the thanks uh, for serving, serving our nation through, through the air force. It was, it was an absolute honor and pleasure, but you know, it's interesting how all this kind of stuff ties back to hockey, right? Everything ties back to hockey. And so let me just tell you a quick story. So I was uh, grew up playing high school or grew up playing hockey in Cottage Grove, Minnesota, and I was the son of a truck driver and a part-time bartender and secretary, right? So when my dad would write out the ice check each week, he would say, "You better be good at this game because this is money." <laughs> and uh, and so uh, so uh, I ended up getting just lucky. I got recruited to play hockey at the Air Force Academy. It was the only Division One school that was highly interested in me. Um, when the recruiter called and, and asked, uh, told me about it, I asked him if they, they gave you, you know, scholarship money. And he kind of laughed. He goes, son, we pay you to come to this school. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> the academy I went and, uh, and got a chance to play hockey out there. What a thrill, you know, played against Notre Dame, and uh, University of North Dakota. And it's a really big schools. You know, back then we were a division one independent. So we played a mixed schedule, some D D three schools in there as well. But, but what a thrill, you know, what a thrill to play college hockey. Uh, you know, there's only about 60 teams uh, that that have uh, that have teams at the Division One level. So it was an, an honor, and that led me into the, into the Air Force because uh, after you graduate, there's obligatory service. But but I had a great time doing doing that. You know, it was interesting on my senior banquet. 
um, we actually had uh, Badger Bob Johnson came to our, sen our senior banquet for our hockey team. And, and, and he, I won't tell the long story since, since we're on air, but, but uh, basically Badger, Badger Bob uh, Johnson, you know, Badger Bob for NCAA championships, Bob Johnson way, which leads to the uh, Olympic training center in Colorado Springs. Great name for hockey. And uh, he kind of challenged us. He said, Hey, Hey boys, uh, I spent the day here at the Academy where we, I learned each of you has a million dollars. We, the taxpayers have invested a million dollars in each of your education, million dollars. So, and then he said, I only have one question for you. What are you going to give back to the game of hockey for giving you that million dollar education? Mm -hmm. And honestly, uh, Jason, at that point in time, I made up my mind right then and there, I was going to coach. That's how I was going to give back. Um, and so I've been coaching ever since now, certainly a few years here and there as the air force put me in places like, you know, Fort Walton beach, Florida, <laughs> you know, and some other places. And, and we started our family. There was a few, few years where there wasn't a lot of hockey uh, coaching, but for the most part, I've been coaching since 1990, uh, and just having a thrill doing it. That's awesome. So what was your main area of expertise in the air force? So my degree was in engineering. Uh, so, uh, we've got a, a, a cadre of people who do the research development testing evaluation uh, for our United States Air Force weapon system. So uh, I like to say that we in our career field, we dream, design, uh, uh, build, test, produce, and uh, sustain the weapons of war that have made our country incredibly powerful and feared by, you know, the globe, right? Nobody wants to see an F-22 coming over their airspace, right? No. Uh, so and that's what my career field did, the research and development arm for the Air Force. Was there ever a point that you looked at some of the things that you were doing research and development on and went, wow? Yeah, the F-22, uh, the Raptor. So that's our premier stealth fighter, uh, fifth generation fighter. And it's, uh, it's an incredible machine of war. When I was a young captain and I actually was worked in that F-22 system program office and there was a, a general that ran it back in the day and I never once dreamed in a gazillion years that I'd have a chance to go back and lead that SPO you know, 20 something years later and the Air Force uh, gave me the chance to do that. Uh, and so back around 2012, I went into the F-22 system program office and got to lead that. That was a wild moment for me. Um, and then I had another wild moment when I got to do the foreign military sales uh, part of our Air Force. You know, we sell about $18 billion worth of military hardware to our friends and allies across the globe, 110 countries buy our stuff. And uh, leading that enterprise was really, really neat. But what was, uh, Besides the fact we're giving these nations incredible weapons that secure their borders, and some of them are in some pretty scary neighborhoods, right? Uh, every, but, but the other part is every sortie flown by a foreign nation is one sortie less that our airmen have to fly, one less family that has to be deployed and, and disrupted and those types of things. So that partnership with our coalitions and, and our partners around the world, that was a wild moment for me too. A lot of fun. That's insane. That's awesome. So in 2007, you're assigned to Wright Patterson, Wright Patterson in, in Dayton. When and how did you get involved with Beaver Creek High School? So Beaver Creek High School, well, so my son grew up in the, the local youth organization here, a club hockey circuit that was the Bombers. And then we transitioned that into the stealth a few years thereafter. And so I, I was kind of involved. There's just not a lot of hockey, hockey knowledgeable uh, people that did that are around coaching. And then, you know, as, besides the fact that hockey has two significant barriers to entry, um, uh, you do everything you can for the game. So the first barrier to entry, of course, is cost. I mean, it's a lot of money, 300 bucks an hour uh, divided by 15. So there's no wonder, you know, the kids around here are only getting one to two hours a week in practice. 
Right. I mean, you compare that to, you know, I grew up in Minnesota where I was on the ice seven, eight nights a, or seven nights a week, plus additional practice outdoor after practice with coaches or playing boot hockey with my buddies and with a tennis ball on the frozen rink. So, you know, it's, it's just a totally different game down here. So you do everything you can to, to help in the coaching and to help in the cost element so you can increase participation. Uh, and so it was really kind of my son's choice. Was he going to play for his high school or was he going to play for the club? And that's a huge barrier here in this part of our, our uh, nation, especially when it comes to hockey. I call it the South of I-70 syndrome because the club teams will suck up the talent. And so, you know, I've got players who are playing club and I, I, I don't know why. I, I, I just don't get it, frankly, because you can play for your high school. I mean, we get like 150 to 300 fans at every game. They're hanging over the glass and screaming and having a great time. The band shows up. They get to wear their jerseys to school. We have the weight room. We do team meals. We do all of a program. But some kids would rather play club where they play in front of their mom and dad. I don't get it, but we still have that challenge. So we're competing for players. So not only do we have low participation rates down south, we also now have to compete for players. It's an incredibly frustrating experience. Positive because it created a little more parity within the league with some teams leaving, or is it still a, a priority of the, the Southwest League to try to get those teams back if they yeah. can? It's, it's uh, you know, we, we're struggling for participation rates in total, right? So what I've asked the club to do is it's pretty simple, right? So the Dayton Stealth in our region here, they're, they're a good club team. You know, they, they've had some success at the varsity high school level. But I just tell the club, just do us a favor. If a kid comes and tries out for your team and they make your varsity, awesome. But if they don't, send them to, and, and they have a high school to play for, send them back to their high school. They can try out for you again next year. But what's happening now is if you take a look at the club JB team, they are orphaning players who've been playing their whole life because they don't have room for them. Why? Because they're taking eight or seven or two or three kids from Centerville and Beaver Creek and all the other places that, that aren't even on their varsity team. And so it's, you know, so, so you, you have the participation rate issue. So if you look at Centerville folding last year, if the kids that were eligible to play for Centerville had played for Centerville, they would have fielded a team. And so it's a constant struggle to get these kids to play. But what we've realized is we've got to do our own. We're going to have to build our own. And so, you know, we've uh, one, one of our players a few years ago, a player named Max, he was a, a lacrosse transfer as a sophomore, right? So not a lot of ice time, wasn't safe. But by the time he's a senior, he's playing first line, scoring goals in the, cha in the, in the championship games of tournaments and stuff, right? So that's what we're doing to build our own. And, and it's not easy, but, 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 you know, the Academy Hockey Club has been a huge help to us in our ability to grow our own. So now we're going to start at the uh, elementary age groups and middle, middle age, uh, school age groups. And, and by the way, these, the benefactor of all this work is going to be the, the youth hockey program, right? Because Academy doesn't have a youth hockey program. We just want to teach them to play for free, get them going for free, get them hooked on this awesome game. And then they go to the stealth and the club teams and they, they, they grow through there. And, and then the, the thought, you know, and the hope is that they come back and play for their high school when they get to that point in their lives but we got to increase participation rates down here. So it's really a struggle for all of our teams. We're, we're graduating two, two seniors this year, right? I, honestly, am I going to get any eighth grader or ninth or ninth, uh, rising eighth graders, ninth graders come, come into the program? I don't know, but I do know I've got a sophomore and a senior that are playing club and it's, you know, and, and there's no advantage to that. They're, uh, I hate to say it in such a negative manner, but all the kids in our region, right? All the kids in our region, are gonna play American Collegiate Hockey Association if they play in college at all. Right. The path to D1 is not here in Ohio. Right. 
you have to go to Michigan, New England, Minnesota. You got to get in a tier one or tier two junior program by the time you're a junior or senior in high school, or you're not going D1. And oh, by the way, only about 15% of those kids go D1. So it's a hard, hard path. And it, you've got to start it early. You're not going to start it as a you know, sophomore or junior. So knowing that you're not going to play D1 hockey, go play for your high school and have a ball. Have a blast. I mean, that's what we really try to do is our competitive advantage is our fans. Our student section is awesome. It is so much fun for our players to play in front of their fans. What were your numbers like uh, on the, your roster at Beaver Creek last year? Yeah, so we've, had, we've struggled for players. We had 12 skaters and two goalies. And then we had a, a young, uh, young, one of our young players got sick uh, with, a, with a debilitating uh, uh, COVID uh, symptom that, that took him out. So we were skating with 11 or 12 skaters the whole year, you know, and that's a different style of hockey. We're playing against, you know, Olentangy and other teams. They got 20 kids on the bench and five in reserve, you know, and so uh, sitting in the stands. And so, you know, when we're playing that, 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 that kind of team, it's all about energy conservation. Right. So you're not going to do a two, two, one, two, four check. You don't have enough energy. You're not going to do a bunch of work in the neutral zone. You're going to play a very smart, disciplined hockey game. And you're going to drag that thing out to the end of the game where you got a chance to win against some of these bigger schools. And, and our players have embraced that model. Uh, the other thing that they've embraced down here for, for, for us is, uh, you know, you control what I tell them is you can't control the referees and you can't control the scoreboard, but you can control your effort and your attitude. You control those and control those well. I don't care what the score is. We can look at each other in the eye and say we gave our ultimate best in pursuit, and that is victory, right, irrespective of the scoreboard. And that's the model and the culture that the kids here have embraced. Took us a little while to get there. You know, I'm, I'm I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask yeah. how long how long did it take for the team, for the players, to embrace that in a society that everything is instantaneous? You need yeah. anything? I mean, heck, my phone's open right now. It's on here for notes and different things that I have. It's an instantaneous society. I need it now. I want to know now. I can Google it here. I can Google it there. How hard was it to build in a, in a, I want to say in a club driven area, how hard was it to build that, that culture at the high school level for you? Yeah, it was, it was, a, I don't want to say it was incredibly hard, but you had to be very patient and consistent. And I would say, to be quite honest, and maybe I shouldn't say it this way on air, but it was harder on the parents than it was the players. I mean, the players pretty much get it. When the coach is saying to them, you're not giving me enough effort. Your skill level, you know, I, I tell you, your skill level is what it is. We'll do our best to make it better. You got to work on it on your own too, but you own your effort. If you're not giving effort, you're sitting behind. And I, I only got 10 guys, right? I only got 11, 12 guys. That's rough, yeah. right? So, but you got to do it. You know, it's like the old Hoosiers movie, right? Where they go out with only four players. And so, so it took a little while, but they, they got it uh, uh, probably in the second season uh, when they started to see the results. I mean, I came in on, on the heels of a five and 25 season and I told the players, we're going to do better, but I don't know how much better. Right. And we went 13 and 16 that year. And I think it surprised a lot of people <laughs> to include me. Uh, <laughs> and then we, uh, but, but they were, they were starting to embrace it. And then the next couple of years, it embraced it even more. And then when you're going up against Dublin Kaufman two or three seasons ago, and, and, and we're down three, nothing after the first period. I mean, it was crazy bouncing puck goals. It was, it was nuts down three, nothing. They came back. My guys came back. We tied that darn game. We went into overtime. I've got 11, 12 skaters against 20. We're in first overtime. We go into a second overtime, right? Mm -hmm. And we have some rushes, man. We were so close. 
but they got it. They got, we got tired, right? As you'd imagine, they, they, they got us in the second overtime. That's a huge moral victory for a team down here in Southern Ohio, especially when you got low numbers. And that teaches them, you embrace a process, you, you trust each other, you believe in your teammates, you can do things that, that, that other people just don't think you, you should be able to, and you can do that. So it's been a lot of fun to, to watch them grow and learn and embrace. And by the way, it's going to make them better people, right? I mean, when, you're, when, you, when you get out and you're working somewhere, you're, it's a team. I mean, unless you're like an entrepreneur that works alone, right, a painter or whatever, uh, you have to embrace teamwork. It's just kind of the way it is. And there's discipline and, and, and those type of things uh, and loyalties that need to be there. And they're embracing it. I love to watch it. It's a lot of fun. Well, it definitely looks like they've been embracing it. So we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, Creek hockey uh, leading up to the great year you had this past season. But uh, you mentioned Academy Hockey Club. Uh, can you tell us specifically what your role is there and what it was that you did that led to your nomination for the NHL Stick Tap for Service Award? Yeah, that's a really, really an honor. The NHL has uh, the Navy Federal Credit Union sponsors this this award, um, and they're looking for people who are helping to veterans, in, in essence, or some linkage to the veterans of, for folks who are helping to grow the, the game, right? So it was an honor to, to be one of the four finalists there, and I think the results are going to be coming out here in, in the next three weeks or, or so uh, as to who, who they've selected for, the, for their, uh, their winner. But what an honor just to have it nominated, right? So we started Academy Hockey really to, 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 to start – to increase participation rates for our high school players, specifically for our high school players. The club players start in August, right? But by high school rules, we can't start till November. So we had players who were like, oh, I want to play. I don't want to, you know, I'm not playing football or, or, or other or soccer or, or other uh, fall sports. I want to play. And so they were choosing to go to club because we weren't starting. And so uh, uh, me and uh, four other guys, uh, well, uh, hockey guys, by the way, beer leaguers that I've known for years uh, here in the Dayton area, we said uh, we got to fix this. So we started up Academy Hockey Club, a, a 4v4 league. Uh, we, we mix the teams per Ohio rules and then no checking. And why do we do that? We do no checking because we don't want the freshman to go out for the first time against the senior and have to worry about that physical play. Let's get used to the speed. Let's get used to the, 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 uh, the size. Then we'll introduce the checking in November when we get to the season. So it's been an awesome experience. We get 50, 60 kids every year signing up. Moeller, St. X, all around Cincinnati, all around Dayton signing up for this league. It's, it sells out. It's crazy. The goalies sell out first every year. Uh, it's been incredibly fun. And two things have happened with, with the fall league. First, competitiveness. It's fun to watch like the same X kid on one team play against the same X kid on the other team, right? They, they're hustling and competing against you. They're, they don't want to lose to their buddy who's now on a different team, you know, for the fall league. Right. Number two was camaraderie. We started to notice after our Swashel games, in particular our Southwest Ohio high school games, the kids that stay on the ice talking to talking to people. And after they'd come off the rink, I'd say, hey, hey who were you talking to? Did you grow up playing hockey? Oh, no, coach, they were in the fall league with me on my team. So camaraderie went up, right? And now they're competing and having fun. But at the end, they shake hands because they know they're, 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 they're both in love with a sport called hockey. So that's how we started it. Now we've morphed our vision now. Now it's okay. Now we've, we're doing that for high school. How can we get more kids playing this game? So the whole idea, and I believe why uh, the NHL is, is, is watching what we're doing here, is we had to create an opportunity for the kids to skate for free. You have that in Minnesota, right? The firemen would flood the baseball field where I grew up and there's your rink in the wintertime. And so we went and did a fundraising campaign and we got some great sponsorships from, 
from uh, uh, Ron Ashamble Realty and some others here in Dayton. And we and, and fifty thousand dollars was raised, and we built a synthetic pond, right? A synthetic ice rink pond. Uh, we we modeled it after the battery there in uh, Columbus, uh, Cam Atkinson's facility. We went up, skated on it, and everything. Uh, but we went with a different brand of synthetic, but we built our own rink. So we got a 40 by 60 rink, right? And now we're starting to see the, the high school players and the kids in our area, their touches are so much better, right? So much better. Now, our, now we're going to roll out our free skating and learn to play programming in September this year for elementary age kids. And then in November for middle school age kids, get them out there. They're going to get six free lessons. Three, two or three will be on synthetic, two, two or three will be on real ice. Let's get them hooked, right? Let's get them hooked. If they love it, great. Then they can go play with the club teams and, and do the figure skating with the ice force and Kettering. And if they don't, that's okay. But their families aren't, aren't going to sit there saying, well, we just lost 600 bucks in, in equipment, right? Now it's free. So we'll be doing uh, fundraising drives for, for skates and helmets and all that kind of stuff to get them going. We're super excited about it. It took us a while to get there. COVID certainly had an impact, but the insurance, <laughs> right? Uh, insurance stuff that we had to work out. We had to find real estate to put this thing down on year round uh, and, and on and on. So, but we've, we've been able to successfully do that. Now we've got, we've got, you know, uh, the Pond of Dreams. If Matt Belmonte was on, he would talk about a, a movie called uh, The Road to War Road. And uh, this is TJ Oshie and G.D. Martin's hometown. Free. Every kid skates for free up in War Road, Minnesota. You wonder why they're producing NHL and Olympic <laughs> level talent, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what we're trying to create here with synthetic. Now we've got the ultimate vision to create a, a, a real ice rink, especially in wintertime. We're going to get there. It's just going to take a few years. But Academy has been doing some incredible things for hockey in our area. And I think the NHL uh, uh, heard about that. And that's how the, the award uh, was, was come, came, came our way, really Academy's way, but, but I'm a rep for them. Can we vote on that somewhere? Is that a yeah, fan yeah, vote thing? Fun, Can we right? go in and stuff the ballot box? Or is that uh, who decides <laughs> yeah. the winner there? Yeah, we'll get some uh, voting machines. Uh, no, I'm just <laughs> um, Yeah, no, it's uh, Navy. There's a committee, Navy Federal Credit okay. Union uh, and the NHL. And so, uh, so so they're going through that now. So. Gotcha. That's awesome. So to switch gears back to Beaver Creek, you became the head coach in 2016. 20-plus wins each of the last four seasons – the last two in the red division. What does Beaver Creek have going for it as a high school program that is your selling point for those kids to play and or stay and play? Yeah, the, the, the biggest uh, uh, thing that we did, and this was a, one of our, uh, you know, the parents help with the parent organization and, and things like that. But we have a, uh, this, uh, this gentleman named Jeff Dufordis. He had his older son uh, played with us and now his younger son's our goalie or one of our two goalies. And Jeff had an idea. He said, you know, we got to get these younger players out here to watch, to see our, our home games with all our fans in the stands. I mean, that, that's a competitive advantage. And I, and, and I appreciated that because I had brought my son to a Beaver Creek high school game. And after the game, I asked him, okay, you know, we got to make a decision. Are we going Beaver Creek? Or are you going to go um, uh, alter, right? Can go private school or are you going to go club, right? And uh, afterwards, uh, we're walking out after the game and my son goes, dad, just, did you see all the fans? I go, yeah, I saw all the fans. And he, he said, well, did you see all the girls? I go, well, I guess there were girls there. He goes, yeah, and the popular ones too. <laughs> and so I asked him where he wanted to play. And he, said, and he goes, well, I'm going to play for Beaver Creek, duh. And, uh, and so Jeff, Jeff Duford had the idea, we got to start getting the future Beavers out here, right? Let's get the elementary age skaters and the middle age, middle school skaters to come to a home game. So we bring them to a home game. We give them a jersey. You know, the, how the Ohio State, State cheerleaders uh, go out with the big flag 
uh, yeah. before the game. We give these little little skaters a flag, and they skate around and warm the crowd up for us. They think it's the coolest thing, and they get to see the crowd. They're high fiving them, throwing jerseys to or t shirts to them. It's a ton of fun. So we have seen an, an influx of uh, of younger players, like our our sophomore going to be a junior class, biggest class we've ever had. I mean, there's like six six skaters in that class, and uh, all of them came from club and play, to play for us because they were there for the games and they saw the fans. So that's really what we need to do. We, we got to keep doing that around this area. But we, but at the end of the day, it's about participation rates. We got to increase participation rates. And this, so this last season was a, a great year uh, for the Beavers. I do have the obligatory COVID question in here, but I'm skipping it. I'm so sick of talking about it. Uh, you, <laughs> you know, you mentioned you did have one kid that you you uh, had missed some some time there, but uh, great season, 23 wins, undefeated in the league, won the league tournament. And then uh, went up against Olin Tangi in the district playoffs. I guess, first of all, uh, if you can recap for us, uh, winning the league tournament, I believe you played Alter in the, the uh, tournament championship game. Yeah, we have a great uh, friendly rivalry with, rivalry with Alter. Um, it's been just a lot of fun. Um, you know, I think uh, if you look at the win-loss record against Alter, it's about 50-50 right now. Um, although the last few years we've tipped the balance to get to 50-50 Beaver Creek has. And so every time we play them, it's a one or a two goal game. I mean, every single time. And, and you know, I've, I've never been in a game where, where you're the home team, right? And you are literally watching to see what Kevin Berry puts out on their ice before you let your line go out. I mean, it was a, that cat and mouse for some of these games, right? Because we got to, you know, match matches his, his, uh, his, his uh, stud athletes. So, um, so just tons of fun. So, yeah, so we ended up in the, uh, the uh, championship game against Alter. We knew exactly how that was going to go down. It was going to be exactly like that. And, and it ended up being a one goal game, like, like always, it was just a lot of fun and very exciting for our, for our players. The Swashville trophy has Beaver Creek's name on it once before this is our 24th season. Uh, it's been about 15 years since we, since we got there. And, uh, and they had a couple kids who ended up playing uh, low level, you know, ECHL, um, uh, semi semi pro hockey on that team uh, way back then. So so you know getting it for the second time in our program's history is pretty exciting. That's great. And you had another one goal game in the district tournament against Olentangy. Yeah, that was exciting. So the, you know um, the uh, the there's no division two right or division three for hockey. So all 78 teams have to compete in the same division. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so I always, uh, based on how we, oh, you mean there's a question coming up on that? We'll get to it. No, no, no. Oh, no, there's not, no. there isn't two divisions yet. There's but going we're, to be, yes. Yeah, we're, there, answer, we're yes, there's it. going to be. Go ahead. Um, and so uh, <laughs> so what, what I've been trying to do the, last, the first year or so, I was learning how this whole process works, right? So, you, you know, you're, you're a mid to, 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 to lower, you know, you're at the halfway point or maybe just a bit lower than that going into the district uh, ranking. So you, you pick 12th, 13th, 16th, you know, on the list of 25. And so for the first few years, I put my name on a blank line, let a lower ranked team play us. Right. Uh, but what I learned was what that meant was you're going to play a top 10 team in the next round. And that was going to be a 10, nothing drubbing after, you know, two periods. So where's the, what's the point? And that's no way for a player to end his career, let a career, let alone, you know, your freshman season. And so what I decided to start doing last few years, I'm, I'm playing up. Right. So I'm looking for that team that I can play up against and not only have a chance to, to win, but maybe even put ourselves in a chance to win that second game and make it to the second weekend right, for the first time in our program history. And so we've been doing that the last few years and, and they've been great games. I mentioned that 
double overtime loss to Kaufman. And this year was a great game against Olentangy. Rough game. I mean, it was great. Just well-played game across the way. Uh, but again, at the end of the game, right? So I'm sitting there talking to my assistant coach, you know, I've got 11 kids going up against 20. <laughs> so we, yeah. we went after it and, uh, uh, we put our, you know, we put our players out there and we went after it and man, we did, I mean, it was a shot that just missed. I mean, I'm talking inches just missed going in and then they, they came down on that rush and, uh, they had a guy, a uh, good skater, but we, we'd held him up to, uh, at bay the whole, the whole game. We kind of knew, knew that was their, their, their player to watch. He came down right side, outside the dots, just like you want your defenseman to do. Down low, below the, the circle, before the goal line, he snipes one that gets in up yeah. my, my goalie's shoulder to win the game. My goalie certainly was upset. That's a, like a 0.1% shot. Even the pros can't make that shot. That kid was on fire. What are you going to do, right? Yeah. But if you're going to lose, that's, that's the type of play that another team's got to make. And you hold your head very, very high after a loss like that. So we played, we played a really good technical hockey game, but, but at the end, we just came up short. But, boy, I was proud of them. They worked so hard. Well, good on you guys going up the bracket a little bit. To, I like the way you're thinking there. Yeah, you know, those 10-goal losses are just so deflating. Um, and so if you don't mind, I'll kind of bridge over into that, the whole Division One, Division Two stuff. Yeah. It's just so deflating. You know, the first year or so, you know, you go into these, these district games and – and it's the seniors after the game, you know, you just get beat seven, nothing, eight, nothing, whatever the score may be. And for some teams, it's 10, nothing, or in other cases, it's even unsafe at 15, nothing. Right. Oh yeah. Mercy years. rule in the second period. We had a yeah. handful of those. Right. But, 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 but imagine being that team that's going to be 15 and nothing that, I mean, I, those kids are not safe. Right. I mean, that's the, the skill level is so much different between those two teams. You have to worry about somebody getting hurt. And so, but you go in the locker room after the game and that's when your seniors finally realize their career's over. And that's going to be their memory of their last game. That is not, that is not the way I wanted my seniors or any of my players to have the end of the season. It's, it's just not right. And so we spawned the Academy hockey club kind of spawned this thing called the post Ohio district tournament because we couldn't stand to watch that anymore. Right. And so we wanted to start an opportunity for one to two goal, maybe three, you know, three goal game difference differentials, but nothing like a 10 goal drubbing in two periods. And so we started this thing called the pod and it's been an incredibly rewarding experience. Uh, Beaver Creek and Alter uh, host it. And then we're looking for teams that roughly speaking are in the, you know, the lower half of the, of the state. By, by my hockey rankings. And by the way, that's pretty good, accurate little metric. I don't know how they do the algorithm, but it's pretty good. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're looking for teams that are sitting in the 83.5 to 80 range, somewhere in there, which puts you in, in roughly in about the 40th to 50th spot in the state. And we're finding that if that's our target audience, we end up with one and two goal games almost every time. We, when, when this happened the first year we did this, Troy High School was in the tournament and they had had a, a really rough season. A new goalie who was still kind of learning and growing, maybe a few seasons under, un, under his belt, and they were getting beat really bad, right? And in the tournament, they got beat really bad. But in the last game of the tournament, that goalie stood on his head and they won two to one. And he was crying his senior year, last game. That's now his memory. Amen. That's awesome. Amen, yeah. right? 
this year we had, uh, we, we, we've had a mix of club teams and Ohio high school teams. We want to get to all Ohio high school teams. When we get there, we will call it an unofficial division two champion. Um, but we're not there yet, but this year PHA prowlers came in, they were one in like 30 on the season and they were sitting right in that pocket, 80, 83. They had a blowout tournament. They won two, they tied one and they made it to the championship game. That's how they now remember their season. It's not that they were one in 30. It's that we had a great final weekend. So that's what we're creating for these kids. We think it's the right thing to do. And we're just having a blast doing it. So thanks to the Academy for, for, for running that tournament each year. Yeah. So and everybody, what, obviously everybody can't win, but even if you don't win losing a three to two game or a two to one game, you know, playing some competitive games against two or three other teams, that's how you should end it. Yes, not like yes. you said, sitting, you know, getting blown out mercy yeah. rule in the second period. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, and so we, you know, we saw Worthington Kilbourne join this year. We had Lake high school from Toledo join and all these teams, you know, roughly speaking, it's not like they're having terrible, terrible years, but they've had some rough games and now they're coming in and having a great time in the tournament. So we're, you know, like everything else, you want the repeat customers coming in every year. Um, and so we'd love to see that grow to, to uh, you know, eight to 16 teams, uh, two pools that kind of bridge back over into the championship round at the end. Um, and so we're, we're, we're getting there. We had to turn three teams away this year uh, from joining us because, because you know, it's kind of when you're running a tournament, it's all about the money at times. Right. So first in uh, first come first serve. And so we filled it up and then, then uh, we had to tell a couple teams no, but uh, but hopefully next year we'll be able to expand it. So for blue division teams, let's say from Columbus, Cleveland area to lead other parts of the state. Is that something that, uh, you know, if they're interested in, they would be able to participate in? Absolutely, hundred percent. So we had uh, we had uh, Kent, uh, Kent 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 was over Lake from Toledo, uh, Kent up near Cleveland was in. Um, uh, so yeah, so we're 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 uh, we're open to anybody joining. We we look at my hockey. Um, you know, we're not going to let an eighty-seven in um, because they're just too strong. We are looking for parity games, and since Beaver Creek and Alter are the hosts, they kind of drive that parity. Uh, but each year, Alter and we've been uh, Beaver Creek and Alter have been right around 83s, 82, 83s. So every year, it's about the same for us, where we we land about you know 38 to 42, or 42nd in the state out of mm -hmm. 78 teams. So right right at that midpoint. So it's been working out really good. But absolutely open all, absolutely. If you had the opportunity to speak with the OHSA, how would you change the setup? We, uh, when you talk, you know, OHSAA, it's it's interesting to watch how it's been happening, right? So there's the there's the uh, competitive parity rule now for some sports where now that it's not just about employee or enrollment school, uh, student enrollment anymore. Now there's this kind of competitive parity rule that they put in place for, for a couple of the sports. So it, it appears they're open to that, right? So, so it, you know, hopefully they'll start to realize that you've got to go back to 2013 to find a state championship that did not have a private school in it. 75% of the final four teams in this state since 2014 have been private schools. And well over 50% of the time, the winner of the state championship is a private school. Private schools have an unfair advantage, every single one of them, right? Now, not all of them become hockey powerhouses, but the ones that do, now they really have a competitive advantage. We played St. Ignatius this year. They have five teams. 120 to 150 kids try out for that team. We played their, their club team. They have a varsity, I believe two JVs and two club teams. We played their club A team. 
it was a good game. We were happy with the result. It was three nothing game, right? We, we, it was a fun game for us. We played strong and hard, but there were juniors and seniors on that team that had made the JV team or had made their varsity team, but knew they were going to be third and fourth liners. They said, Nope, I'm going to go play the club and have a good time. So we were up against four, five, maybe legitimate St. I players playing in their club team, their, their third or fourth tier team. <clears throat> right. How is that not a competitive advantage? And how does something like that, when 75% of the teams in your final four every single year are private school, how, how do they not have a competitive advantage? How do you not start to find a way to differentiate that out? So, so my hockey is pretty clear to me. 85, roughly speaking, I'm not a data scientist, but I'm pretty sure we could find a data scientist to do this work for us. But roughly my hockey ranking of 85 seems to be the knee in the curve. Right. If you're above an 85, right, 85 to 92, those are some good games. And you've seen some, you know, games where it's like, oh, how'd that happen? But these teams beat beat the higher ranked teams. But if you're below an 85, I mean, the the the, the lower ranked teams in our state are 70s, 71, 72s. They're going to go against a St. Ignatius in the second round if they win the first round. We're, there's it's a safety issue. So, so the state's got to figure out a way to do competitive uh, competitive pairing. I believe they, they can do this. I mean. Every, if you look at the bottom three to four teams in each of the districts, every year, the bottom three to four teams of every district get beat by 10 goals, either in the first or second round. Right. But why is that not a division three, right? I was going to ask 12 or 14 teams that are, that, that are 79s to to 70s. There's, there's a group, right? Take your 20 teams that are, uh, 80, 84s down to 80s. There's your division two and take everybody 85 and up and say, there's your division one, 20, 20 and 20, roughly, uh, you know, top third, bottom third and middle third go. Well, I don't see where it's very hard, but uh, you know, it, it, who knows why it's so hard for them, but that that's only one thing. I mean, there's only 11 teams in the Toledo district. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, it's just, anyway, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Now, now, no disrespect meant for the Ohio High School Athletic Association. They do some great work on behalf of these student athletes. They work their tails off on their behalf. And there's certainly tons of politics at play that they have to accommodate. But I do believe it's time. I, I really, I'm, I, the safety issue and the, the, the end of season drubbings, they, they have to end. It, it's just not safe. There's teams that are opting out of Ohio districts now. Yeah. They have to get athletic director permission and approval, but they're doing that for safety reasons. I mean, there, you know, there's teams in our, our, our uh, Southwest Ohio that are full of players who started at ninth grade, right? I mean, these kids are, they can't go up against, you know, St. Charles. It's, it's not right. safe for them. Has there been any thought to, instead of doing the, the pod tournament post-district, to doing it instead of, to having teams opt out and play in, in the pod tournament instead of playing in the districts? No, we uh, honestly, uh, Scott, we, pr- we wouldn't do that. I mean, it's, um, you know, with the athletic directors at play, the National Federation of High School Rules, all those things that have, have, have to come into play. Um, we, we really believe the post-district tournament's the way to go. Um, you know, like, like Beaver Creek, we have a goal every year. One of our three goals, one of our three major goals every year is to win our district game, right, at the end of the season. So we, we want to go to the districts and we want a chance to compete at the districts. Uh, but we do recognize that's not the way we want to end our year because even if you win the first game or the second game, that third game is that's a Saint I man. <laughs> that's going to be that's yeah. a that's a that's a rough game. So, do you think that if the state and and, and we've had uh, the commissioner of the OHSA on our podcast, 
<clears throat> and and you're not going to find a lot of love lost from certain members of our podcast that enjoy what the state is doing to our sport. And I feel that it is directly at our sport only because the answers were given were, I understand them. Don't get me wrong. And I agree with you that the OHSA has done a wonderful job for the student athletes in the state of Ohio. However, you cannot govern hockey the same as you do football. With that being said, there are seven divisions in football. There's one in hockey. Yet the OHSA is saying you need to have uh, the okay of X amount of number of schools and teams and members to make it multiple divisions. What about moving the state tournament around the state to different venues, be it in Oxford at Miami, be it in, in Toledo where the walleye play, be it in Columbus, maybe not at nationwide, but to move it around, as, as you said, to, to, to bring the game to different fan bases to see what that state tournament is like, regardless of the division. You, you, let's say they had two, three divisions in, ho- in high school hockey and you moved all three of them to Oxford. Well, wouldn't that, you know, like you guys have, you bring the, the young skaters, the, the young beavers to the games, that draws interest in Beaver Creek. So you bring the state tournament to a different area. Would that, would that or would that not draw interest in competing for your high school in that type of setting? Yeah, I mean, there's, there, you know, when you look at like a divisioning difference, right, that's hard, right? But the things you're talking about, Jason, are not hard right? Soccer does that. Football does that. They all, basketball does that. The first few games a state player, you know, higher ranked team gets home field, right? And then they go to neutral site in about the third round. I don't see any reason we can't do that. We go up to Columbus every year and it's a home game. It's a home game for that Columbus team we're playing. You know, we, we played uh, last year, we played, we played, gosh, I forget who we played to tell you the truth now, but it was a home game. They had like 200 students there. Right. I had like 10 parents. That, that's a difference. Right. And it, it, it's not a, a fair advantage. No, by the way, uh, some of the rinks around our state are private rinks and they need money to stay operating. So there's opportunities for them to get ice and, and sell some ice and increase the game around their regions. I absolutely think that's something we can do. And that's not hard to do. Other sports are already doing that. Schiller has a lockdown on this. Now, now Jeremy's doing a wonderful job with everything that he does for hockey in our area. But why should Chiller have a lockdown on the state tournament? It, it, to me, if I'm a private rink owner, I'm thinking that that is a, a conflict of interest. It's definitely a financial, uh, a, a financial interest. But is it a conflict of interest is a question. I, I don't know. But I can tell you as a coach, it, it's a little frustrating going to a home, you know, being, a, being an away team up in Columbus. And it's a home game for every team I play every year. It's a little frustrating. But, you know, we, we do what we can do. It's the rules the way they are, but certainly that's something that can be done. And I don't think it'd be that hard to do. I I don't disagree with you. And we've had this discussion on this podcast numerous times, including with Ronald Sayers, the the hockey liaison to the state. And, and it's a frustrating conversation because it's lack of better terminology. It's BS. You're not, you you talked about competitive balance. They're not taking into that account. They're, they're not, I mean, you, you, I've been on both sides of a 10 nothing game. You don't want to see it on either side. And what are you saying to those, those players that this is it. And Oh, by the way, you just got your butts kicked. Uh, good luck with the rest of your life. <laughs> that, that's not how you want to leave people thinking the game of hockey. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, no I, I agree. I, I don't know. 
And, and the more people that see the games, the, the better off it is. I mean, that would have been pretty exciting for our fan base to see, um, you know, uh, that game against Orange or, you know, our fan base to see that double overtime against Kaufman. They, they would have loved that. Our, you know, give me 100, 200 students in the stands that, they, you know, they're talking about that, right? Yeah, they lost, right. we lost, but they, they're going to talk about that. Right. So, uh, you know, and then we, we played Ultra a few years ago and it was, gosh, it was four to one with six minutes to go. We're lo- we were losing. Four to one with six minutes ago. We came back, tied it, and then won it in overtime. Those students still talk about that game that were at that game. That was an unbelievable thrill for them to be a part of. So, yeah, I think we could probably spread things around a little bit and, and increase the the uh, the optic, you know, increase the uh, excitement, if you will, for the state tournament. All right. Well, Coach, we we can't thank you enough for joining us. What you're doing with the academy, what you're doing with Beaver Creek, your passion for the game. Be it coming from the state of hockey, I think that's a wonderful thing. Um, we want to thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us here on the On Air Podcast, the Ohio Hockey Digest, and continued success to you guys in the future. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate you guys having me today, and thanks for what you're doing for the student-athletes in our state. Uh, it makes a difference, and uh, people watch that Twitter account, especially during the, during the season. So thanks for, for what you do and uh, giving back the way you have. Well, thanks again, Coach. We greatly sure. appreciate having you. Well, guys, episode 51, uh, we'd like to thank our, our guest, Greg Gutterman, Gregory Gutterman, Brigadier General Gregory Gutterman of Beaver Creek for joining us this week. Guys, it, it's it's hard to deny his intensity, his passion for the game of hockey, for growing the game, his affiliations and his associations with the Academy Hockey down there. Um, I, a couple of things I, I took from, besides growing the game in Southwest Ohio, was trust the process. You know, they're, they're going to, they're going to help you better your skill set, and you get to play for your school and, and the different ways they've been able to, for lack of better terminology, drum up business with younger players coming and seeing the atmosphere. I mean, atmosphere in, in an ice arena, that's in a, in a COVID year, that was very difficult for a lot of teams, mm-hmm. actually every team, uh, other than playing in front of your parents, you know, which is, which is fantastic in itself, but, you know, the, the players live for, for their, their fans and their, their, their friends and the camaraderie that comes with the school. And I think that the coach Gutterman, what he's doing in at Beaver Creek and, and with trying to grow the game in Southwest Ohio is a fantastic thing. I, I, I really enjoyed listening to him. His passion drives him and, and you can hear that in him and just good things are on the horizon for those guys. It's, it's not going to be an easy road. As he said, it's not easy to do what they're doing to get guys to stay or get players to stay rather at their local high schools and play them uh, play for them rather. But, you know, was it 23 wins on the season, winning championships, losing games, uh, being in games and losing games three to two by one goal. It, it's growing. It's bru- It's improving. It, it's getting better for them. And, and you could hear that in his voice and in his optimism for the future. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, they're buying in, it's working. You look at the team on paper, they've been uh, getting better each year for the last four years. They still have some challenges there with the numbers and the club hockey competition and things like that. And, you know, you'd like to think uh, if the OHSAA can listen to the, the passion in his voice and the, you know, what they're trying to do, to give their kids a better experience. This is what the OHSAA should be doing. They should be, you know, at that level thinking about these things. How can we make it good for 
you know, I've, I've said the same thing. I think there's three um, just organic divisions within the state. There's the top teams that are playing for the district championships every year. There's the programs at the bottom, either it's numbers or it's, you know, just a lack of talent or history, you know, or a new program that are at the bottom. And then there was a good 30, 40 teams there in the middle that are really missing out. And, you know, you'd like to see them figure that out. So um, I'm going to check the arc. It was great talking with him. I'm going to check the archives. I think he's the first Brigadier General to have been on the podcast, but we're going to confirm that. Have we had any other military on? Well, we had Spencer Cox and we went to Culver Military Academy. I think that's about as close as we've come. <laughs> well, we, again, special thank you to Brigadier General Gregory Gutterman from Beaver Creek for joining us tonight. That'll do it for episode 51. It is in the books. We look forward to having uh, our on-location correspondent, Tim Sullivan, back with us next week. Hopefully, we'll be able to be live together in the studio doing this as one unit. Well, if he does, with that weather and what it's doing here, maybe not. However, tune in next week. We get to another exciting guest. We're not exactly sure who it will be yet. However, we're continuing to go the game as best we can. This is On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. I'm a treetop flyer. I'll fly any cargo that you can pay to run. The Bush League pilots, they just can't get the job done. You've got to fly down into the canyons. You'll never see the sun. There's no such thing as an easy run. Oh, treetop flyer. I'm in high demand Go 15 feet over the Rio Grande I'll blow the mesquite Right up off of the sand Seldom seen, especially when I land I'm a treetop flyer Born